From the Annie E. Casey Foundation, I'm Lisa Hamilton, and this is CaseyCast. Today, we're discussing how to ensure communities and systems maximize the developmental window of adolescence. Joining us is Thaddeus Ferber, the Executive Vice President at the Forum for Youth Investment. Thaddeus has spent his career promoting evidence-based policies that incorporate youth voices and help communities achieve equity for all youth, especially those who aren't in school or working. He's collaborated with leaders on both sides of the political aisle. This includes helping to orchestrate national youth summits for the George W. Bush and Obama administrations and working at the President's Crime Prevention Council during the Clinton administration. In 1998, Thaddeus joined the Forum, a national nonprofit that works to connect leaders with the ideas, services, and networks needed to help all young people get ready for adulthood. Welcome, Thaddeus. Thank you, Lisa. It's great to be here. Well, when people talk about um, developmental periods for kids, the conversations largely focus on early childhood. But I want us to talk about teenagers, not always a popular topic, but one that I've come to realize is a group of young people we need to talk about a lot more. What do science and research say about adolescence and why it's such an important part of development? Well, thank you, Lisa. That is absolutely the case. Um, The truth is that disparities and uh, advantage and disadvantage affect us all at every stage of our lives, every day of our lives. Um, So the whole time frame is important. Uh, We at the Forum for the Youth Investment work to improve the odds that all young people are ready for college work and life, ideally by age 21. Um, And what we find is, yes, early childhood, it is incredibly important. But we've also learned that if you just level the playing field for young children and then for the rest of your lives, leave the field slanted against them, the odds are still the too few young people are going to make it to the finish line. Mm. So how do you define adolescence? What's the age period we're talking about here? We generally talk about 12 to 24 is a big developmental period. And we know that development um, occurs for different people in different time frames. So it's hard to put an exact start or end date um, with us. But it's a time that is rightly getting a lot more attention these days. Um, Particularly, the National Academy of Sciences released a big new report summarizing the research and what we know about this um, called The Promise of Adolescence, Realizing Opportunity for All Youth. And so we really are at a point where we now know a lot more about this population and this developmental stage and so are poised to better respond to the opportunities and challenges that come with working with this population. Well, you start by telling us what that report or other research tells us about adolescence. Why is it such a trying period for young people and for the adults who are in their lives? It's trying, but it's also a very um, wonderful period and an exciting period in so many ways. Um, So the research really shows that this is a period when we expand our horizons, when we look beyond our families to the broader world. It's a time when we're developing our identity, our values, our beliefs, our aspirations. Uh, It's a time when you become acutely aware, both for good or for bad, of what other people think about you. Um, And it's a time uh, during which the relationships we form or don't form matter a great deal. Um, It's also a time where uh, young people now have the capacity for self-direction. 
They can make decisions about their own lives. It's a time that they have the skills and a heightened desire to improve the world around us. And so that's one of the things I love most about working with this age group is it's not something that you do to young people. Once you're in this stage, it's doing something that you are doing with them and seeing themselves define the world that they want to see and the role that they want to define for themselves within the world um, really makes it a very uh, rewarding age to work with. Well, I like the, the way you frame that. You know, the, the way I asked the question is how many people talk about adolescence in a very negative, high-risk um, way. But the way that you've described adolescence is totally different. It's about the ways that we are growing and developing during that period of time and um, makes it exciting, I think, to, to imagine, you know, we think of little children and the growth that's happening for them. Um, Say something about the, the the way this helps us even change the narrative about teenagers if we understand what's really happening for them in a different way. The narrative is incredibly important, um, especially when you layer in race and class into the conversations, that it's an age where some young people are feared by adults and others are loved and nourished by adults. Mm. And so... Those types of disparities you don't see as much when you are in an early childhood center where it really just focuses on your um, your family as the unit. But once you reach adolescence, you're expanding and looking beyond your community. And it matters, as I said, what people think about you and the biases and stereotypes that continue to persist in national conversations and in our media, those play on young people. And so it really is important to be very mindful about the narrative of how we describe this age, this stage of life, and all the good things that come along with it. And often it leads to certain young people being forgiven for mistakes that they make and risks that they take. And other young people end up in the deep ends of systems that um, forever, I think, um, make it difficult for them to have the kinds of productive lives that we want them to have or for people to not see the potential that that they may have. So I, I think that's um, really important for us to understand how young people um, are all going through the same developmental period, but the way that we as adults perceive them uh, can have very different consequences in how those young people navigated or are given the supports. That is extraordinarily true. And it's also true that risk in itself is a key facet of adolescence. Mm -hmm. Biologically, this is the time when you need to go out into the greater world and go hunting in uh, earlier times. And so biologically, we are predisposed to intentionally go try new things and actually to take risks. Um, it is risk-taking is an important facet of this period of life. We just need to understand what are the types of risks that young people are going to find when they go out of their doors and are out into this broader community. Some places, the types of risks that you take are very safe and protected. In other places, they can have really severe repercussions. Mm -hmm. But then you also talked about other ways that young people are changing that um, makes them more influenced by peers or makes them more interested in participating in decision-making. And those are all things we can take advantage of. And we as a society always vastly underappreciate how much young people have to offer themselves. And so anytime we go to an event, we'll bring young people to speak um, at the event and share their perspectives firsthand. And people are always amazed. They're like, where did you find these amazing young people? And we're like, in any school of the country. Right, they're <laughs> just, just regular teenagers. <laughs> regular teenagers right. who, if you ask, what do you see in your world? What do you like? What changes do you want? Are going to share things much more eloquently than us or researchers ever could. 
you have um, described adolescence as the least equitable period of life. What do you mean by that? Yeah, a number of things are happening. The first is you are stepping out into the broader community, and for the first time, you're really acutely aware of what's going on in your community, what's going on in the media, what's going on in the movies that you see. And so it disadvantages and inequities that have always been there. This time of life, you can, for the first time, be exposed to it, um, things that your parents had protected you from or you were naive and weren't able, didn't see, you're now going to come into sharp focus. Mm. And so um, unfortunately for too many young people, the world that they're growing up with isn't a fair and just world. And this is the period when if you didn't already figure that out when you were younger, you are for sure going to figure that out um, now. Um and we see the evidence um, uh, backs this up. Um, I'll give you one quote from the National Academy of Sciences about this. So this is the period when young people become increasingly aware and attuned to their social status during adolescence, and institutions, policies, and practices may reinforce status hierarchies and stereotypes about members of groups that are non-dominant or stigmatized in society. As you are predisposed to look at a broader horizon and are acutely feeling the status connection and relationships of do I belong here or do I not, this is a time that you are going to have to confront some of the severe inequities that exist in our society today. Mm, and how does that play out in the day-to-day -day life of a young person? I've been sheltered until I'm 10 or 11 years old. I don't quite know about inequities in the world. I've become a teenager in all of a sudden, I can see the stark differences in my neighborhood compared to other neighborhoods or other things. How What does it look like for a young per person, and how does that impact them? Yeah, I mean, sadly, it means that too many of their relationships are punctured with pain. Hmm. The best part of my job is working with young people who are the true leaders of this movement. And one that I got to know fairly well over a couple of years came from a very disparaged, a very difficult community that she um, grew up in. But she was one of the lucky ones. She found a program that was there to help her and helped her not only transform her life, but then to give back to her community. Um, and so she was now in college. I ran into her at an event. She was in college now. And I asked her how school was going. And she said it was a hard semester, that. It was a hard semester. Not, not the classes. The classes were fine. The classes were cool. It was just the, I mean, you know, the normal stuff in my neighborhood. Like what, I asked. Well, she said one of her good friends was shot and killed. I'm sorry, I said. And another friend died in my lap. He died from a heroin um, overdose while we waited for the ambulance to arrive. But, you know, she said it's normal. I mean, to me, we can either continue to turn our backs on these communities that, for the most part, were created intentionally by people who look like me, white male landowners, that we created to ensure opportunities for our children while we were isolating other people's children in specific neighborhoods so the problems that we caused don't spill over to affect us. So we can invest in young people who can help heal their communities from the inside out. But it comes down to this at the end. Do we have the public and political will to solve the problems that we created? Or are we going to be okay with that level of human tragedy being, you know, normal? Mm. And repeated 
over and over again in so many neighborhoods and with so many young people. That is a heartbreaking story. Unfortunately, as we try to help young people, you know, get the education and employment opportunities they need in this country, so often people fail to realize the type of serious trauma and challenge young people are are dealing with every day. And and so that story makes me want to ask you about, um, you know, the millions of kids that experience trauma, how we, um, you know, how do we understand how that impacts their they're learning that we we can't imagine there is, you know, an after-school program that's going to help a young person overcome that kind of um, pain and, and trauma in their lives. So let me start with some good news. Um, the good news is humans are extraordinarily resilient. Hmm. And there's a whole body of research, resiliency research, where they tried to figure out, isolate what was the magic thing that helped some people uh, persevere in the face of adversity as others don't. And um, a uh, very uh, effective researcher who really delved into this, Anne Mastin, after researching it throughout her career, she ended up pu- publishing a book called Ordinary Magic. Hmm. What she found is all humans have extraordinary ability for resilience and that, in fact, there's no one single thing that can happen to a person that will guarantee that they don't make it through to the other side. Hmm. She looked at, like, death of a parent or forced into child military campaign, right? Like the worst of the worst. Mm -hmm. If it was just one thing, they would still be able to come back from it. What people weren't able to come back for is multiple things. And if you start looking at multiple bad things happening in a single person's life, that's where you start seeing all the outcomes drop off the cliff. And so talk about yeah. what young people in this country are are dealing with. Are they faced with one thing or, or many yeah. things? Yeah, unfortunately, with the structural racism we have baked into our country, it's far too likely you can point to communities it's not hard to find and um, be pretty sure that a lot of the young people are going to have had not just one, what's called as adverse life experiences, but several of them. It's for this reason that we really need to be attuned to cycles and processes that will turn one bad thing into Many. Um, so, for example, a family, uh, parents getting divorced, if that's the only thing, people are still going to be fine. But if they get divorced, uh, the dad doesn't provide child support. So then the mom's in poverty, has to move to a different place that they can afford, which disrupts the friendships with the friends. You've now turned one issue into five. What we're finding in the new brain research is really the dynamic interplay between your brain, your behaviors, and your environment. Hmm. We uh, in America are tuned to think that uh, it's all about your brain and your brain decides what your behaviors are going to be. And what we actually find is both are true. Hmm. The brain defines your behaviors, but but your behaviors and your environment literally change your, your brain. brain. <laughs> you can mm. clone two babies, put one in one community, one in another, get to the ad- of, uh, end of adolescence, do brain scans, and you literally will have different brains um, at the time. Wow. Say that again, Dad, because I think, as you said, people really can't imagine that that's the case. 
Yeah, I think one of the most uh, uh, dangerous fallacies we have in this country is the myth of the self-made man, Mm -hmm. right? We Mm -hmm. like to pretend that nothing about their environment, right? It's just you were born as this amazing person, and that's why you now lead a multi-billion dollar company. None of that's true. It's baked in. It's very, very hard to convince the public that that's not true. They're very conditioned to believe that. And that's one of the things we've got to figure out is how we get people to understand that, no, there is this greater um, interplay uh, uh, that happens. And I'll dig into one, you know, I, I, I particularly am attuned to is a cycle where, let's go with risk-taking, okay. right? Risk-taking, you take a risk that your brain is supposed to be taking a risk, but you're doing it in a school that then calls the police who then takes that risk and puts you into the system. So suddenly that one thing you did became a problem Mm -hmm. that then that action that they take of putting you in the system then makes you feel less safe, less that you belong, less like like that you matter. Mm -hmm. That in turn is going to trigger brain chemistry that locks that in and reinforces that and is actually going to get you to act up even more. Mm. Increases the likelihood that something like that's going to happen again. That's right. Because you're now told that's who you are. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And that affects your brain and your brain is going to continue to act in that way. Mm. I'll try and get back to a positive point because I try to be positive (laughs) about this is the opposite is also true. Uh, If you can flip the script and treat a young person with the sense of warmth and belonging and connectedness, that's going to change how their brain operates. That's going to improve the types of behaviors that they exhibit. That's then going to get more people to want to spend time with them and get them into productive environments. And so that's the, the, the cycles that turn from one thing going into a good way or one thing going to a bad way. That's what changes things, not just one thing that happens in your life, but patterns of things that happen in your life. And and uh, I assume that um, what you're describing in a practical way is something we call positive youth development in the field. Um, could you explain more what that is? And I've also heard you talk about those three things young people need. You just mentioned them. It's important, I think, for listeners to to hear you articulate what those three things are and why they are so important for young people. So even just the idea of talking about people's positive development is in itself a big shift. Radical. Radical (laughs) shift, right? Um, We have professions designed to help you increase your test scores, and then we're trying to help you not get arrested, not get pregnant, not drop out of school. We have all these professions focused on one specific thing that you don't. we don't want you to do. Avoid the negative. Avoid the negative. (laughs) Control your behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, what we don't have is the profession of people who say, I am going to do what helps you develop. Some after-school programs, some youth workers um, do this work, but not enough. There's a really uh, amazing youth worker, uh, Joni Hollifield, uh, who works here, and uh, she put this on her Facebook feed about the work that her program, or the things that her program has achieved. One, A 17-year-old decides not to participate in retaliatory gun violence and instead throws the weapon in a place where it will never be recovered. In his own words, I'm a better person now. A 19-year-old donates $223 back to the organization Heart Smiles out of her own money because, in her words, I want to sow a seed back into the place that helped me before I got on my feet 
Y'all spend millions on Uber rides for us so we can get home safe. And I want to be part of the reason someone else can get home safe as well. A 16-year-old realizes that for the first time, her family can't afford to host Thanksgiving dinner. Someone helps out. Someone helps her family get the food. And then she immediately takes a portion of that food and brings it to another young person who has no food either. She gets a ride to deliver the food at 11 o'clock p.m. because in her words, I know what it feels like to be without. And whenever I'm blessed, it's my job to bless someone else. Hmm. It's amazing how few of the vast amount of professionals who are charged with spending their time interacting with young people would see any of those three things as their job. And it needs to be. And as the positive outcomes we want to see That's right. for young people and the the caring and compassion demonstrated by those examples are the thing I'm always struck by when I'm around young people, even those who have experienced significant disadvantage. Their first goal seems always to be, what can I do to change the world that would make another young person not have to go through this? And what can I do to help others who might be experiencing this at this moment? You know, learning about brain science for young people, compassion is actually one of the um, qualities that most presents itself as in, in adolescence, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, it, it's not for coincidence that all great social movements come from young people. Mm. Change, and it comes from the combination of the altruism in this age of life and, in a good way, the risks you're willing to take, right? You are willing now to see the world you want and you're not old and feel protective the way I feel protective of my family now, right? You're young and are willing to take risks. You're perfectly primed to say, I'm going to stand up and do what I believe in. Oh, that's a fascinating way of understanding that, that, um, that positive um, part of risk-taking that young people are willing to, to risk their own personal safety or comfort in order to create a different world. That is such a, um, a wonderful outcome that's right. uh, from that. Um, I want to go back to this question I asked yeah. you about the three things that all matter right. uh, for young people because I think they're so important for all of us to, to understand when if we want young people to have... Um, but better outcomes. Yeah, so as we travel the country and look for the places and programs that young people said, this changed my life, mm -hmm. we increasingly would see again and again three things. They would say that I feel safe. They would say that I feel like I belong. And they said, I feel like I matter. Mm. When you go into a program, if I hear, they say, well, this feels like a family. This is a place it feels like I can make a difference. This is the one place in my life I feel safe to be who I really am. Mm -hmm. If you hear them say those three sentences, odds are you found a really effective program and place um, for you to grow and develop and thrive. And it's not just about young people. It's really about part of the human condition. We find... Uh, work with employers um, finding these same three factors um, work. There was an organization, a company that was covered in the book, The Culture Code, that was having a trouble with staff retention. And so um, all they did was change one hour of the or their standard orientation, one hour where instead of just talking at their employees... They said, well, we want to hear about you. Tell us about you. What are you like as a person? What do you want to be in, a, in this world and in an organization like this? That's it. <laughs> they changed nothing else. Um, seven months later, they went and checked the staff retention based on that one-hour change. 
and there was a 200 and I think 27% change in who is and is not in the company just because of that one hour where they said, I'm going to ask you about you. That's going to trigger your sense of safety, that you belong, that you matter, and has a dramatic um, uh, impact. You see it also, believe it or not, in the FBI's training of hostage negotiators, in fact. They are trained to find ways to forge a relationship with the person on the other side of the phone, Mm -hmm. and the techniques that they teach are very similar to the things that Joni does to build relationships with the young people. And you have to understand, you know, you, when you're talking about young people who've never felt like they belong, always have their heart, you know, their guard up, mm-hmm. um, never feel safe. It takes a lot to get them to really understand with me in this place, in this environment, you can let it go. And be yourself. And be yourself. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, you you talked about some of the young people that you have met in your work. I would like to talk more about the sort of network of young people that you are working with and how you see them. Uh, what are they excited about? What? How do they want to see the world different? In the future. Yeah, well, it's, it's again, it's the best part of my job um, <laughs> to, to get to speak to these people. And I really, they are the leaders of this movement. And a huge part of societal change is it comes down to shifting power dynamics. Hmm. And so we're always very aware of us as a national organization need to be very intentional about not owning or claiming the space, but opening up and getting out of the way and letting the young people go where they know that things need to happen. So one group that we work with a lot is called Opportunity Youth United. And so these are young people who at one point in the critical 16 to 24-year-old period were both out of school and out of work for an extended time, a population we now refer to as Opportunity Youth. And so um, we work with this network of Opportunity youth who were the lucky ones who did find a program that could help them get to the other side and are now uh, working to keep the door open for the ones who come next. So like the person who got a Thanksgiving meal and then immediately pay it forward. (laughs) I'm going to give part to someone who is even less than I do. Um, So we've been working with them and they have been passionately coming to here to D.C. to talk with their members of Congress about the importance of programs supporting opportunity youth and working with them in for two years. Um, they've been able to secure $195 million of increased federal funding for programs that serve opportunity youth. That's incredible. That cannot happen without young people leading the way. That's fantastic. And I understand um, the forum also has um, a network called Spark Action that's online. Talk about Spark Action. Yeah, so we want to make sure that young people have a chance to take action on whatever issues they are aware of. And so we want to make sure that they have all the tools they need to craft their merit, their, craft their narrative, to tell their story, and also to take action on the issues that they care about. Um, young people are altruistic. It's hard to find an issue that they're not passionate about. <laughs> right. Um, about, but certainly there's always a lot of passion around the environment, a lot of passion around immigration and immigration rights, a lot of passion around what's happening um, at the border these days. Um, But we often try and create a space where the young people themselves can define where they want this country to go. And the 
deeply believe that they are going to be the ones who get us in a better place than we are today. That's fantastic. Well, I know that the forum does incredible work all over the country. I'd like to give you an opportunity to talk about how your organization um, both helps in this direct work with young people, but um, also how are you helping um, the adults who need to um, do their work differently and, and create different policies for young people? How are you helping uh, support this kind of uh, transformation in our in our systems and policies? We as an organization, we take what's known about child and adolescent development and bring it into transform programs, partnerships, and policies. Hmm. Um, so programs, we go in and we have a youth program quality assessment that can say, to what extent is your program doing the things that lead to young people feeling like they're safe, that they belong, and they matter? With partnerships, we go in and find that when you're trying to support child and youth development, there is no one organization or sector who can do it oh. alone. Mm -hmm. So we bring communities together and put up uh, a big picture of look at the entirety of young people's lives. None of you can claim to do it all yourself. How are you aligning to make sure that whatever it is that the young person's looking for, they will be able to find? Mm -hmm. And then in policies, just as there's very few people whose job it is to do what Joni does, there's very few policymakers whose job it is to or see as their job to help improve the quality of child, child and youth lives. They think in terms of the jobs they have, which are silo specific. Mm -hmm. I'm in charge of juvenile justice policies. I'm in charge of child welfare policies. I'm in charge of education policies. Mm -hmm. But where they come together at the end of the day um, to jointly hold themselves accountable for improving the quality of young people's lives, that doesn't happen on its own, and it doesn't happen very often. Um, we work with a network of what are, we refer to as children's cabinets mm -hmm. at the local and state level. So this is when the mayor or the governor has the insight of, all right, I need you all as the secretaries um, to give me one cohesive plan. I'm sick of getting one youth employment plan, one uh, education, education reform, plan. reform plan, one substance abuse reform plan. Mm -hmm. Like these are the same dang kids, <laughs> right? Exactly. Shouldn't you have one strategy? And if you can get that to come together and you can get them all say, you know what, we're not going to have any of these problems if we just did a better job of giving young people what they need in the first place. Mm -hmm. And see, that's our job as policymakers is to help families get what they need to raise resilient um, kids, to make sure that all of us are saying wherever that young person goes in their community. I want to make sure that they feel safe, they belong, and they matter. Mm -hmm. Very few policymakers see that as their job or mission, but if they did, all the other problems would dissipate, and even more so that we'd see the positive change that can happen from giving young people what they need to transform not just their lives, but the lives of those around them. Mm -hmm. You raised an important point earlier about, um, you know, what does it take to change public will on these issues? And I'd like to turn that back to you and ask you, what do you think it's going to take to have our leaders um, really put uh, youth and, and child well-being at the top of the agenda? So I like to be positive, but on this one, we are just plain losing. Mm. Uh, the narrative that's out there about young people is still very disparaging, especially of young men of color. They are still treated with huge um, stereotypes, public understanding about the population. I'll tell you a, a, 
uh, a survey that uh, John Powell cited. He surveyed the general public and she asked one of two questions. One question was, should young people who are in prison have the right to get a high school and college degree? Okay. Very shockingly, people said no. By and large, you shouldn't. They changed the question. Question number two. Should young people in prison be required to get a high school or college and or college degree? And people said, hell yes. Right? That's not a policy question. That's like the way the people, people think. think. The way people think. And it takes changing that, changing the narrative takes far few, far greater resources than the field has at its disposal. Um, it's it's some of the most important work. The field creates great, amazing, compelling content that tells these stories mm -hmm. in a way that's respectful and no one sees them. Mm -hmm. And so doing that mass communications to get people to see these narratives. I will give you one. I, I say I like to be positive and I do have a good story on this front that I will share. Okay. Um, with a ad council campaign called the Grads of Life campaign. Yes, Casey supported that. Yes, and <laughs> I'm glad that they do because um, it's extraordinary what they've done. I think it was the first ad council campaign that wasn't focused on the general public. It was actually follow, uh, focused on the people who make hiring decisions. Right, employers. Employers. <laughs> and they said, well, can we craft messages that employers to shift from seeing hiring non-traditional youth as a liability to an asset? Mm -hmm. And so they started crafting what they called the seven-second campaign because um, there's a stat that most hiring managers glance at a resume for all of seven seconds before they put it in the yes or no pile. So they said, can we help young people share their stories? Um, what you find as working with these young people is they may not have a high school degree, but oh my, have they have life experiences and level of maturity and level of grit and strength. And problem-solving skills that none of us could conceive of. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's How do right. you get from here to there with five buses and <laughs> two trains? So they were able to line up enough of the pro bono sharing mm -hmm. of the resources mm -hmm. that not only were these amazing, powerful pieces created, but they were seen. And the percentage mm -hmm. of employers who said, yes, I've seen those ads, and yes, they make uh, a difference. difference, is we need that kind of stuff all the time, and it's this is the one example I can point to where we've really gotten the scale of the narrative out to a broad enough audience. Well, that's great. Well, it um, gives us a direction to keep focusing on how do we help um, not just those who are making policy decisions or um, our youth um, workers working on the front line, but how do we help the public understand this work? Because um, as the public goes, there go our policymakers. Absolutely. And uh, I think that's important work for us to continue to do to make sure that everybody understands the potential of young people, that they understand the um, the science that tells us how we can do better uh, and that we are all contributing to to helping our young people have the lives that they deserve. And we're grateful for our partnership with the Forum for Youth Investment because you're on the front lines of trying to help all of us uh, do this work better. We're grateful for your leadership. Well, we are grateful for you and the foundation, and we're especially grateful for the young people themselves who are providing the leadership and pointing the way, and we all do what we can to get behind them and support the work that they're doing. I think you're absolutely right. Well, thank you so much, Dad, for joining us, and I want to thank our listeners for joining us as well. 
If you've enjoyed today's conversation, recommend KCCast to a friend. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. To learn more about Casey and the work of our guest, you can find our show notes at aecf.org forward slash podcast. We also invite you to subscribe to our newsletter at aecf.org forward slash newsletters. Until next time, I wish all of America's kids and all of you a bright future.